His wife, Julie, is with us as well. So let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you that when we are enemies, you gave us the best person in the universe, our Lord and Savior, your son, your only son. We thank you, Father, that in your plan, he was willing and did go to the cross to die for our sins and the sin of the world. We thank you that you raised him from the dead on the third day so that whoever believes in him simply believes Jesus Christ died for their sins and was raised from the dead. Whoever believes that will never perish but have eternal life. Father, this morning we want to thank you for bringing the Freemans with us today. We thank you that Rich will be preaching today. We would just pray that the Holy Spirit would be doing his work on all of us this morning, especially Rich as he preaches. We pray for the success chosen people ministries and in particular rich and julia's ministry we also father want to pray for their family their children and grandchildren that you would watch over them and protect them we also pray for one another here this morning members of the lighthouse bible church we pray that um, whatever difficulties people are going through father that you give them the courage and confidence to know that you've got everything under control we ask all of this in the name of jesus christ our lord by the power of the holy spirit Amen. All right, we're going to have a couple of worship songs this morning, so that if you would stand. This morning we have a special guests, Rich and Julia Freeman from Chosen People Ministries. Rich will be preaching this morning, and... Um, I want to just give you a couple, little information about Chosen People Ministries, basically their mission. And it's to Chosen People Ministries exists to pray for, evangelize, disciple, and serve Jewish people everywhere. Again, Chosen People Ministries exists to pray for, to evangelize, to disciple and serve Jewish people everywhere, and also to help fellow believers like you and I do the same. Rich Freeman, um, as we preach him this morning, we've known Rich and Julia for a number of years. He's, he's with us many times in the past. Um, just to give you a little information about Rich and Julia, um, Rich is now the vice president of the Southeast region. He directs the activities of Chosen People Ministries in the southeastern United States. He works with churches both here in the United States and abroad. He also teaches Bible conferences on various topics Jewish evangelism, prophecy, the church in Israel. He also teaches on the feasts of Israel and much more. As a matter of fact, he told me this morning he was on radio talking about the the Jewish feasts this week. So um, he's he's much in demand. We're privileged to have him with us this morning. He also ministers here in local churches in Florida where he and his family reside. Um, I think Rich is going to talk later on about the newsletter that he might talk about. Chosen People Ministries mails out every month and uh i have to let you know that rich is a featured author as well he does a bible study every month right now he's on the book of micah the prophet micah chapter four so at this time i would like to turn over the microphone and the platform to rich freeman chosen people ministries Well, this is an, an unusual environment to, to be preaching, and uh, not the most unusual I've been to. Probably the most unusual. One one Sunday morning, I preached in a funeral home, so this is this is a lot less than a lot less austere. But uh, it's good to be with everyone, and uh, good to be with you. How many of you have never seen me before, just out of curiosity? Okay, one, two. Yes, you have. Your wife said you, you need to listen to that. But uh, it's good to be with you. And uh, um, recently, I just uh, published a new book, and uh, the book really began out of uh, out of uh, a uh, Bible study that I did with my tours in Israel. One of the one of the my uh, really my joys is to be able to lead tours for Chosen People Ministries to Israel. And um, I'm actually going to be going back uh, the end of October uh, for the first time in three years since before COVID. And so I'm looking forward to that. But typically, 
on these tours, I was would do a uh, Bible study every morning, a little devotional, actually, from Psalm 23. And uh, I started, and people would tell me, you, you really need to make this into a book. And, and I, I had thought about it. And I started writing a book about Psalm 23 and a commentary on Psalm 23. And if you haven't figured it out, there's probably 5 million commentaries on Psalm 23. Everybody's done something on, on Psalm 23. It's probably the most familiar uh, scripture, even for the most, you know, you say to the the worst heathen, do you know anything from the Bible? And they'll say, the Lord is my shepherd. Doesn't mean anything to them, but they'll still be able to quote it. Uh, so I started writing this commentary and then COVID hit. And I realized that things changed in that we're looking at things differently. And so the the book that I ended up writing is called The Lord is My Shepherd, Dayenu, which is a Hebrew word that means that's enough. And the whole premise of it is how can we as Christians be content when things are not going the way we want them to go? Our health's not working out. There's a COVID pandemic we're not crazy about who's in charge of our government, things like that. And uh, and so uh, that's the premise of the book. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is kind of a portion of that, but really kind of the main thrust. So um, I want to begin, and uh, Pastor John was telling me his struggles with technology, and I have now drank the Kool-Aid and I preach from an iPad which for me, I am definitely old school, and uh, I would see these young pastors preaching from an iPad, and I'd think, how could you do that without a Bible? So my Bible's here, just in case. <laughs> but uh, I want to begin with a little story. Um, and you may have heard it because I've been here a few times. I like to tell these little stories. It's about a man who was in the process of robbing a house. The house was dark. You could barely see in front of you, and he knew where everything was. He had scoped out the house, and he began putting the loot in a sack. And as he was doing that, uh, it was very quiet, and all of a sudden he heard a voice, almost like a whisper. And the voice said, Jesus is going to get you. So he stopped, looked around, didn't see anything, and he's thinking, well, uh, I'm starting to hear things. And he continued doing it. And then as he was continuing to rob this house, sure enough, he heard the voice again, only it was in a different part of the room and it was a little louder. Jesus is going to get you. So now he's thinking of all the places to pick. I had to pick a haunted house to rob. And he's thinking, man, what am I going to do? And then he remembered that he had a cigarette lighter in his pocket. So he took the lighter out, flicked it on. And when the flame lit, the room lit up. And there in the corner of the room, sitting on a bookshelf, was this big old parrot. And he looked at the parrot, and he says, wow, man, Polly, I thought you were a ghost. And the parrot looked at him and said, my name's not Polly, it's Moses. He said, Moses, what kind of person names a parrot Moses? And the parrot said, the same person that named their Rottweiler Jesus. Get him, Jesus! And so that has nothing to do with what I'm going to share with you this morning, but I like to tell those little stories. Uh, have you ever heard intimacy with God described as, a, described as a mountaintop experience? How many of you have ever heard that expression? It's a mountaintop experience. Well, the metaphor really comes from two places. Number one, it comes from the picture of a high mountain peak where there's nothing between you and the heavens. So you're at the top of the mountain. There's nothing interfering there's you and there's God. That's your mountaintop. Uh, and second from the story of Moses, not Moses the parrot, but Moses from the Bible, who by all accounts had an intimate relationship with God, a very close one-to-one relationship that took place where? Mainly on a mountaintop. And so that's kind of where the, the term came from. Uh, but a fact of life that all of us as believers should face is that as we seek that mountaintop experience, as we desire to grow closer and more intimate with the Lord, there is going to be pitfalls. We're in a real spiritual battle. 
and our very real enemy, and we do have a very real enemy as believers in Jesus, that enemy will do anything and everything he can to make sure we don't get where we're supposed to go. So our path up to the mountaintop often takes us through very dark valleys. And those dark valleys have the greatest dangers, often with despair and disappointment. Now stop and think, wouldn't it be so much easier if God would just swoop down, give us a helicopter and take us up to the top of the mountain? That would be so much easier, but that's not God's way of doing things. He uses the struggles we face in our lives to grow us, to grow us stronger and prepare us for life in the world that we live in, a broken and fallen world that we're going to deal with these things. Uh, I heard this story, and, and I like to use it because it really deals with this topic. There was a little boy who, for his birthday, was given a caterpillar farm. The caterpillar farm consisted of some you know, little vegetation and these four big caterpillars that basically ate the vegetation, and the little boy watched them, but knowing that one day the caterpillars were going to build cocoons and turn into butterflies. And he was excited about that. And sure enough, one of the caterpillars uh, built a cocoon on this little kind of tree-like vegetation. And the cocoon began growing, and, and the caterpillar went inside, and the little boy every day watched the cocoon to wait for that beautiful butterfly to come out of the cocoon. Well, sure enough, as, as weeks passed, uh, the cocoon began shaking back and forth. And the little boy was waiting for the butterfly to come out, and he could see the butterfly kind of struggling inside the cocoon. And he watched as the butterfly was struggling and moving around inside the cocoon, and he was so impatient waiting for the butterfly to come out that he got a little knife and he cut the bottom of the cocoon to make it easier for the butterfly to come out. And sure enough, the butterfly plopped out of the cocoon, but it couldn't fly. Because you see, part of the time in the cocoon is that struggle to break out of the cocoon, strengthen the, the muscles for the butterfly's wings. And because this little boy took away that struggle, the butterfly was unable to fly. And so for us, I think we have to recognize that those struggles that we go through, God uses for our benefit. And we don't necessarily like them, but ultimately the Bible is very clear that God uses all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I was grateful that Pastor John played that song, but let me read Psalm 23, and I'm going to read it in the King James. Uh, for those of us who are over 40, that's probably the Bible that we first heard Psalm 23 in. And so Psalm 23 in the King James Version says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy, and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we... Look at this portion of Psalm 23 this morning. Uh, help us to recognize just how important it is to trust in you, to trust in you as our good shepherd. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your great love for us, that even while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us, that we might have eternal life. Thank you for that incredible gift of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Every summer, the good shepherds in Israel would take the sheep to the top of the mountain ranges because that's where the water supply uh, was plentiful. That's where the grazing land was best. And it had a lot to do with, you know, the fact that it was up on the mountaintop. But the trip up the mountain is usually not an easy one. 
There are the dangers of the elements, dangers of predators. Sheep were easy prey for the various predators. And finally, there is the dangers of the sheep to themselves. Uh, of all the animals in the animal kingdom, sheep are some of the stupidest animals. They're just not very bright. And it's interesting that God chose that particular picture to describe his relationship to us as his sheep and he being our shepherd. They go their own way. They do their own thing. In fact, going up to the mountaintop, sometimes they will actually fall off the jagged cliff if they don't pay attention to the shepherd. And David was so aware of these annual treks of the shepherd and his sheep to the summer mountain ranges, and he was so familiar with the pitfalls and dangers in the valleys up to the mountain uh, as the sheep were driven to higher ground, and really so troubled by dark valleys in his own life that I believe he's chosen to use this picture for us under the obvious inspiration of the Holy Spirit to describe his own experiences of growing closer to God. So he writes in the beginning of verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So what is the valley of the shadow of death? That's a question uh, that I've investigated ad nauseum. And I have to tell you, there's all sorts of theories on that. And some commentators actually believe David's talking about a real place, uh, a steep and very deep and narrow canyon where the sun only hits the bottom of it when it's at high noon. So directly overhead, sunlight goes down, and that's the only time the canyon is lit up. The rest of the time, the bottom of that canyon going up to the mountain is completely pitch black. It's purported to be between Jerusalem and Jericho. In fact, it's believed to be the road where the story of the Good Samaritan took place. So considering where Bethlehem is in relationship to Jerusalem and Jericho, David likely would have led his sheep through that road, uh, through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, as a teenage shepherd boy. If you remember the story in 1 Samuel, when Samuel came to anoint the king from Jesse's sons, where was David? He was out with the sheep, shepherding the sheep. Uh, so is that what David had in mind? And as I share with you, there's a lot of Bible commentators who believe he was talking about a real place. But I don't think that was David that David was thinking of going through the actual place itself. See, the Hebrew word for evil is the word ra. And it's also translated in the scriptures affliction, adversity, calamity, danger, disaster, harm. Because so it's virtually anything one might consider negative or bad. It represents any difficult experience of life that makes us afraid. And that most especially includes the fear of death. Julie and I were traveling in March of 2020. We were actually in the state of Arkansas. And um, COVID was already out, but uh, the churches that I was speaking at said, oh, we're, we're meeting, come. And there was one particular church uh, that I was looking forward to preaching, and it was on Sunday morning, and the pastor told me, we're a go go to your hotel on Saturday night, and I went to a number of different meetings. We met. Uh, it was a little weird. You know, people were still not sure what to do with how do you greet one another. If you remember during 2020, you had all of these things wondering, you know, you started with the fist bumping and all of that. Well, the pastor for Sunday morning who said, you know, it's going to be uh, okay. Uh, this was on Saturday afternoon, late Saturday night. We were in our hotel uh, getting ready the next morning to drive to the church. And the pastor called me up. He said he just got a call from the mayor of their town that the whole state was closing down. The state of Arkansas literally shut down. And so we were able to change our flight to fly back to Florida on Sunday. And as we were driving to the airport, this was in western, northwestern Arkansas where Walmart's is headquartered. Uh, as we were driving to the airport, there were state police in all the various churches, parking lots, to make sure that the churches didn't meet. That's how serious it was. And if you remember, you know, people were afraid. Fear was palpable because, quite frankly, people, there wasn't any, any sort of treatment. There wasn't any vaccine. And 
people, a lot of people weren't surviving. And Julie and I have, have lost a number of people that we knew well uh, from COVID and probably some of you as well. So it was a time that people were really afraid. Uh, it was real fear. It was like walking through the valley of the shadow of death, which kind of got me thinking to how writing about Psalm 23 fit into the time that we're living in. So the Hebrew word translated evil here really is a parallel to the valley of the shadow of death. And in scripture, evil and darkness go hand in hand. Uh, it's often said, you may have heard this statement, nothing good happens after midnight. And that's true. In essence, what David is saying here is, even though I'm going through this very dark and difficult and scary situation, like with the sheep with their shepherd, I'm going to trust you, Lord, that you'll enable me to get through this and I won't be afraid, whatever the situation might be. Uh, it's interesting. One thing that we know about sheep is that their eyesight is terrible. They lack good vision and are easily frightened in new situations and circumstances, but most especially they're frightened where it's dark. But it's the presence of the shepherd that keeps them calm. Uh, sheep without a shepherd, if a, a little rabbit runs out in front of them, they'll stampede out of fear. That's how sheepish they are and where the word comes from. Uh, but the presence of the shepherd keeps them calm, keeps them from the free of fear. It is really an amazing transformation when they know that the shepherd is present. So as you look through the Bible, the term valley will often refer to the kinds of dark, rough times we experience in our own lives. The book of Joshua talks about the valley of calamity. Psalm 84 talks about the valley of weeping. The book of Hosea talks about the valley of trouble. The reference to a valley in Psalm 23 really has a similar connotation. The phrase can actually be translated the valley of deep, dark shadows. That sounds kind of ominous, doesn't it? And the ancient rabbis taught that this phrase was actually speaking of what, what they called Sheol, which for Jews was the place of the dead, the grave. So hence the valley of the shadow of death, and thus the tradition that the psalm would be read at funerals. But this psalm isn't about the dead, it isn't even about dying. It's about living, living through the valley of the shadow of death. And up until this point in the psalm, David, as he writes to us, has been speaking to the reader about God. He starts out in, in verse 1 and says to the reader, Hey, let me tell you about the Lord, the great I Am, Jehovah God. The Lord, He is my shepherd, and I shall not want. I don't lack anything. He's more than enough. Than enough. And he says, Look at all that he does for me. He gives me rest. He makes me lie down. He gives me refreshment. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He even leads me on, on the right paths for his namesake. But when David gets to this verse, verse 4, on the dark valleys of life that he's walked through, he makes the statement, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And I want you to notice something very important here. David changes to whom he's speaking. Everybody see that? He forgets about us, the reader, and he starts speaking to God. In the rest of Psalm 23, David is talking to God instead of about God. It's like David, as he's writing, started to think of the tough times in his life. And if you've read through the life of David, you know that David went through some horrific times in his life. But as he does that, as he thinks about God bringing him through those tough times, he runs to the presence of God, which is a great picture for us. When we go through the difficult valleys of life, the valleys of deep darkness that David talks about, even as we may have gone through the dark valleys of a COVID pandemic, run to the presence of God, run to intimacy with the Lord. The only way to have that intimacy is through the word of God, through faith in Jesus the Messiah, believing that you, like each one of us, is not perfect. We are all sinners that fall short of the glory of God. And as a sinner, we are in need of a sin bearer, in need of a savior. And Jesus indeed is that sin bearer. He's our savior. When he died on that Roman cross, 
he bore our sins, yours and mine, to pay the redemption price that God requires. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. And I have two advanced theological degrees. And I have to tell you, when I think of that statement, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. I can't wrap my mind around that. Jesus literally became sin when he hung on that cross. He bore the sins of every human being who will ever live to the point that he was so horrid and horrible that God the Father turned away from him. And Jesus, quoting from Psalm 22, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understood that for that brief moment, he experienced separation from God, what we would call hell. But by accepting what his death on the cross did as payment for our sins, we can have eternal life with him. And you receive salvation as a free gift from God. There's nothing you have to do other than receive it. So I pray that you've done that. And when you do, he promises to never leave you nor forsake you. God is with you all the time. I know I pray this sometimes, and I've heard other people pray. When you pray, God, I pray that you'll be with us. That's kind of a redundant prayer, isn't it? God's always with us. It's important that we understand that, and maybe that's how our prayer should be worded. God, help me to understand that you're always with me even when I don't feel like it, even though I feel like you, you've moved away. It's the old story of the, the husband and wife sitting in a car at a, at a red light, and you know the husband's on one side, the wife's on the other, and up pulls a Mustang convertible with two young people, and the, the girl is so close to the guy you couldn't put a piece of paper between them. And the wife says to the husband, Honey, you remember when we were like that? And the husband looked at the wife and said, I didn't move. When we feel like God's moved away, he's not the one that moved. We're the ones that move. So he promises never to leave you nor forsake you when you put your faith and trust in him. When I was writing my new book, I spent a lot of time looking at the scriptures admonishing us to not be afraid. And, you know, when, when God says, fear not, there's an implication that the person he's saying that to is afraid. And if you look at the different scriptures, and we're going to look at a few of the scriptures, uh, it's real. But it's interesting. People have done studies how many times that phrase, don't be afraid, fear not, is used in the scriptures. And it's an interesting number. They found that that phrase is in the Bible 365 times. And I don't think that's a coincidence. In fact, I don't believe in coincidence. So every day we need to understand that admonition, not to be afraid because of our relationship with God. Obviously, it's something that we like sheep struggle with. You know, something's going on in your life and your immediate default is to be afraid, to think of all the what ifs. Uh, but the scriptures tell us the reason not to be afraid is Emmanuel. God is with us. Because of that reality, we don't have to be afraid. So let me talk about a few of the scriptures <clears throat> where that's mentioned. And the first one to me uh, is really interesting. It's in Joshua chapter 1. And in, in Joshua chapter 1, this is verses 9 and 10, just to give you context, Joshua is told that Moses is dead. And now because Moses is dead, and Moses had, had mentored him and trained him, he is now going to replace the great Moses as the leader of Israel and lead them into the promised land. And as a frail human being, Joshua had to think, there's no way I can measure up to Moses. I'm not going to be able to do this. And he was afraid. So listen to the words of the Lord to Joshua. He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Don't be afraid. And here's the reason why. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now Joshua ultimately led the children of Israel into the promised land. 
And at the end of the book, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But in the beginning, he was afraid, clearly. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, there was a king of Judah named King Jehoshaphat. And he was in a battle where he was surrounded by Israel's enemies. The Moabites on one side, the Ammonites on the other side. And he was thinking, we are in big trouble. And he was afraid. And so here's God's response to his fear. He says, you need not fight in this battle. This is Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17. You need not fight in this battle. Station, you, station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Jer- Judah and Jerusalem. And then the statement, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. In Isaiah 43, Isaiah encouraged the nation of Israel, the Lord encouraged through Isaiah the nation of Israel, through a very difficult time in their history. And this is Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 1. That's one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. It says, but now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, notice it doesn't say if you pass, but when you pass, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And Isaiah wrote this about 700 B.C. Now the Hebrew for Savior there is the Hebrew word Moshiachah. It's a form of the word for Messiah. It's as though Jesus was speaking here, as he was speaking to the children of Israel through Isaiah. And in a very familiar passage in the New Testament, what we would call the Great Commission at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus speaking to his disciples, and this is the risen Jesus speaking, basically sharing with them the fear of the unknown, what's going to happen to them as they obey his calling to go. And so in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, to observe all things that I've commanded you. And then he says this, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice that Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, many of whom are going to die a martyr's death, nothing bad's going to happen to you if you trust in me. But he does say, no matter what, I am always with you. And that was the encouragement to his disciples. Now, unfortunately, people, even believers today, react to the kind of adversity we're going through similar to the way Gideon did. You all know the story of Gideon from the book of Judges. Uh, Gideon is first seen hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat from the Midianites. And the story is that the Midianites, uh, after the Israelites had, had done all of the work in farming their crops, basically were stealing their crops. And they had no food because the Midianites were stealing everything. So here's Gideon in a wine press, which is basically a hole in the ground that you would put the grapes and crush them. And he's in this hole in the ground threshing wheat so that he could have some food and make some bread. And that's the context with his confrontation, if you will, with the angel of the Lord, who most Bible scholars believe when we hear the angel of the Lord, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. 
So this is Judges chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now, if you don't think that's sarcastic, I don't know what is. Here's this guy hiding in a hole from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord says to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now, later on, as he trusts God, he's going to be a valiant warrior and win a great victory for the Lord. But listen to what he says to the angel of the Lord. O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Does that sound familiar? Where's God? That's humanity's default. Where is God? Nobody ever thinks of God until things aren't going the way they like, and then they start blaming God. Where is God in all this? Now, again, later on, Gideon is going to win a great battle, uh, but at first he looks at God through his circumstances, and that's something that I think in our, in our human weakness we have a tendency to do. When things are going well, God is good. You know, you'll hear people share, I prayed for a mate, I got a mate, God is so good. I prayed for a job, I got a job, God is so good. But what happens when you don't get the the prayer answered the way you want? Can you still say God is so good? You know, I like the phrase God is good all the time and all the time God is good. It's not about your circumstances. So people say, if God is with us, why are we dealing with what's going on in the world today? Why is our world so messed up? Why is my life so messed up? Now, the presence of the shepherd keeps the sheep free from the fear of danger. And again, you have the word sheepish. That has to do with the fact that sheep are so fearful. But when the shepherd is present with them and they understand that, The fear is gone. We have a tendency to be afraid of the scariest danger of them all. And I'm not talking about death. I'm talking the danger of the what-ifs. We're all experts at that, aren't we? We project. What if this happens? What if that happens? But David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And maybe you're in a situation in your life right now that seems like that. He says, I will fear no evil. I will fear no calamity, nothing bad. Why? For you are with me. When we can really get to that point of recognizing because God is with us, there's nothing we have to be afraid of. Then we could have that peace in our lives that we all want. It's a presence of God in our lives that enables us to be free from fear, not free from adversity. That's not what God promises, but he promises to enable us to be free from fear through the adversity. So let me ask you a question. Are you able to focus on God's presence? If that's been something you struggled with, ask God for his help to focus on his presence in your life. Fear not, he says, for I am with you. He's our shepherd, and therefore we shall not want. We shall not be afraid. Amen? Well, let me conclude with some thoughts to leave you with, and I think it's important. Number one, in our travels to the top of the mountain, in our journey toward intimacy with God, towards having that mountaintop experience, it's likely that we're going to go through some dark, death-shadowy valleys in the process. The fact that the world is in the situation we're in should not be a surprise to us, and certainly it's not a surprise to to God. It's part of the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in. But God wants us to rest and trust in him, even in the midst of all that's going on around us, no matter what. So I want to encourage you, don't view the circumstances you find yourself in like Gideon. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us, Gideon asked. Rather view these circumstances 
through God and see how he's using this time in your life to grow and mature you, to get you closer and closer to him. So then you can be able to spread your wings and fly, even in a broken world like this, unlike the butterfly in the story that I shared earlier, because it's those struggles that make you stronger for him. When you're able to do that, when you're able to rest and trust in God, no matter what your circumstances are, it's then that you could have that mountaintop experience that we're all hoping for. Experiencing the very real presence of God in our lives, even in the midst of a COVID pandemic or whatever your life situation might be. So that's number one. Number two, and I've experienced this myself, it's likely that when you have that mountain, incredible mountaintop experience, it will then be followed by a dark valley on the way back down. See, the problem with being on the mountaintop is you can't stay there. You got to come down. And when you come down, you're going to go through a dark valley. That's just a given. And that's when we're on our most vulnerable after the mountaintop experience. <clears throat> Let me share this story with you. Turning your Bibles to Matthew 16. This is a story of Peter uh, in Caesarea Philippi. Beginning in verse 13. So we read Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So Simon Barjona, Barjona is the son of Jonah. I also say to you that you are Peter. And the word for Peter there means a little rock. And upon this rock, this big rock, which is his profession of faith, upon your profession of faith, I will build my church. So the church isn't built on Peter. It's built on his profession of faith. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That, my friends, is what is known as a mountaintop experience. Peter could not have felt any better about himself. Jesus said, you heard directly from the Father. I mean, only Jesus hears from the Father. And he just said, you heard from the Father. Peter had to think, man, I am it. The Father in heaven spoke directly to me. And with all the other disciples witnessing this, he got a chance to really puff out his chest. So look what happens next. This is right after it. This is verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now here comes Peter, who just had this mountaintop experience. Peter took him aside. Picture that. He's telling Jesus, I need to talk to you. And he began to rebuke him. <laughs> hey, man, you're talking crazy. I'm, I'm the rock. The Father speaks directly to me. You don't want to do that. God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, <laughs> get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Wow. Get behind me, Satan. Peter goes from being rocky to Satan in a matter of minutes. But again, it's part of the spiritual warfare we find ourselves in, and sometimes those mountaintop experiences will impact our pride, and we don't realize that it's all from God. 
Lastly, number three, when we focus on the reality of the Lord's presence with us, we can be free from the fear of evil. And that word, again, can be translated affliction, adversity, calamity, danger, distress, any one of those words, we can be free from that fear. We don't have to be afraid. And it certainly doesn't mean that God's going to make those things go away. That's people's default. Pastor John, I'm sure you'll agree. What people want more than anything else is not to hurt. You know, all my years as a pastor, that was the one thing that I heard a lot of. And that's not something we can promise. We can't promise, God promises not to give you anything more than you're able to bear with when you trust in him. It doesn't make those things go away, as I said, but it gives us the confidence that God will enable us to get through when you see the Lord as your great shepherd. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is with you? One of the things that I like to do in the uh, in my Israel tour is teach a phrase that kind of says all this, and it happens to be the, the title of my book. And it's a Hebrew phrase, and I'm going to teach it to you now. So you ready to learn a Hebrew phrase? Yes? Okay. So first word, Adonai. That's an easy one. Adonai. Let me hear you say it. Adonai. Second word, Roi. Try that. Roi. That means the Lord is my shepherd. And the third word is Dayenu. And that word means that's enough. The Lord is my shepherd and that's enough. And that's the title of my book because I think the reality is this is a difficult time that we're living in and there's going to be adversity because we live in a fallen world people get sick people get all kinds of illnesses we have financial difficulties you name it and maybe you're going through some of that but with the Lord as our shepherd he will enable us to get through it as we keep our eyes on him amen, amen. so at the end, there's going to be an offering for the ministry. Uh, what I'd like you to do is, you should have gotten one of these brochures. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. One per family is all you need. And uh, while my wife's giving that out, let me just talk about, this is the book I was talking about, called The Lord is My Shepherd, Dainu. And uh, the subtitle is interesting. Because um, even coming here, I used a, a navigation system. And when I got here, and I, was, I got here early, I had to call Pastor John because I was staring at, at, the, at the sign that says cafe, and I wanted to know if I was at the right place. But so I use a navigation system all the time. And I call this God's GPS for finding contentment. How can we be content in a, in a world where things are going so crazy. And it, it has to do with our relationship to him. So that's what the book is all about. I would encourage you. We have a book table out when you walk, first walked in. Uh, and this book is there. Um, and also, this is the other book that I wrote. It's called The Heart of the Apostle. It's a commentary on Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, that really is a verse-by-verse study of what is the passage that's really the strongest passage about God's plan for Israel as well as Paul's heart for his people. He, he begins by saying he has unceasing grief in his heart for his brethren according to the flesh because, like everyone else, apart from Jesus, they're lost. And if you're not aware of it, the vast, vast majority of Jewish people do not believe in Jesus. Only about 3% of the total Jewish population are professing believers in Jesus. So 97% of the people through whom Jesus came don't believe that he's the, the Messiah. And most of them believe he's the reason for all of their problems as a people group. All the persecution of Jewish people throughout history is because of the charge of deicide, the fact that 
the Jews killed Christ. So it's, it makes it difficult to reach them, but uh, we are reachable, and, and I'm here as testimony of that. So there's other books on the book table. Be sure to uh, uh, check out the books that are there and say hi to my wife, Julia, who is the person who led me to the Lord as a almost 31-year-old adult. So why don't we pray? Lord, we're grateful for who you are. We thank you for this promise that you are with us always. And because of that, we don't have to be afraid of anything. Thank you, Lord, for your great faithfulness and your great love for us that even while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us, that we might have eternal life. We thank you for that wonderful truth and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John. Do I need to move my seat? Yeah. Okay. All right, I do encourage everybody to take a look at the books that are out there. Um, for my money, this commentary on Romans 9, 10, and 11 is the best one I've ever read. And it clears up a lot of things, a lot of misapplication of, of that three chapters that are about the past, present, and future of the nation of Israel. Um, we are going to take an offering now at this time. Um, we always do that when we have missionaries coming in uh, to visit us, to preach with us. Um, if you weren't prepared today, I understand because it's my fault because I was sick and we didn't have service last Sunday. But um, can they can they use credit cards on that? Yeah. So now you have no excuse. Yeah, right? on the, on the, there's a place on the. On I'm the glad to hear that. Yeah, probably we need people need pens. Um, and if you make out a check, make it out to Chosen People Ministries. And what, we're just going to take a collection now and we're going to provide that over. That's not your last chance to give. Because in addition to this, you can give um, either online or what, what, what Rich is going to pass out. There's also a great newsletter that comes every month. encourage you to sign up for that. And um, that's, that'll give you other opportunities. Um, to, if they to go give. online, if you go to chosenpeople.com slash Freeman, that will go to our landing page on the Chosen People website. And you could donate on that page. And okay, go great. To us. So that's, that's even better. Yeah. Yeah, it's real simple to find you now. It's just Google it. Oh, yeah. Chosen People Ministries, Rich Freeman. Boom, right there. So, all right, so let me pray for the offering. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for our friends. We thank you that you've given us the resources, uh, as Americans in particular, to be able to support missionary activity, which is pretty much a requirement. You call us as part of our ambassadorship and, and, and actually fulfilling the mandate uh, in Matthew about reaching to the end of the earth by uh, providing financially as well as through prayer. And we just ask this morning that you'd open our hearts to give. And uh, we also, again, express our gratitude for Rich and Julia to be with us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.